You're listening to Borders, stories about borders by the people who cross them. I'm Caitlin Pierce. I thought this next story would be my first story about a real international border crossing. And Yasmin did cross the Mexican-American border when she was just six years old. But as Yasmin told me her story, there were all these other borders that she crossed along the way. Yasmin's relationship with her mom has deepened so much because they crossed the border together. And you'll hear from Yasmin's mom, Irene, later in this story. But first, Yasmin needs to introduce another important character in her journey. This is Paco. He is a lion, not a bear. I've deformed him to such a point where I understand that people think he's a bear. He had whiskers that I chewed out of anxiety, um, out of his face. He has these hazel marbles for eyes uh, that now look like they have glaucoma from all the beatings he took. And uh, he used to have a huge mane of hair of like, the hair was kind of like troll's hair, but it was much more luxurious than it is now now it's all matted down and there's clear bald spots he's a puppet for a very important reason because a stuffed animal can't talk back to you when you're sad and you need somebody to talk to but Paco's always been someone that can listen to me and talks back to me and tells me what I need to hear and he's made it all these years sick since I've been six right so what 32 minus 6 26 years yes thank you I am a math teacher too, by the way, right? (laughs) My dad worked for Pemex, which is the largest uh, oil company in Mexico. So he would be gone uh, on the rig for 15 days and come home for 15 days. Sometimes he would save enough money to like give to us when he came back for food, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes he would spend it all on drinking. And that those were a lot of the fights. But um, one particular time that he was gone, my mom went to spend some time with her sister when he got home, my mom wasn't there to like give him food and do all these things that women are supposed to do for men. So he went looking for her at her, at her sister's house. They weren't there anymore because they were picking us up at school. Then went to the school. And that's when kind of this whole fight happened in front of everyone, where my dad grabbed my mom from her shirt and, you know, said essentially like, how dare you? I came home. You weren't there. You can't do that to me. Let's go home and dragged her and me by the hand, her by the shirt, all the way home. And, you know, they proceeded to fight all night. I hid under the table with Paco. So then the next morning, I remember waking up. My mom was shaking me. She's like, come on, come on, we got to go, we got to go. And she had our blue suitcase that we always took. And on the way there, she's like darting back and forth, looking left and right. And I remember I thought I saw him around the corner I was like, ahí está, he's right there. And my mom like jumped and we looked and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, it's not him. We got to my parent, my grandparents' house when it was really dark at night. It was in the middle of the night. They don't turn on the lights. I didn't understand why. They're all talking in hushed tones, my mom and my grandparents. But, you know, I do remember the, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. And that was my granddad. Because every time you stay here, he comes here, he begs you to come back On several occasions, he had taken her to a church and, you know, kneeled in front of her and promised her he would never lay a hand on her. And my mom would just go back. And so my grandfather's point was, no, because if if you stay here and he comes back, the next time you might not come back alive. 
Um, so that's why she had to go. Tienes que ir a los Estados Unidos. You got to go to the United States. And why couldn't we have just gone to another state, Mom? You didn't think we were safe anywhere? No. Because he always said that uh, if I... If I left him, he's going to find me and going to kill me and get, get you back. So we got to Comadre Concha's house and and then we got back on a bus um, to Tula. And we went to the house of a bunch of cousins. I do remember her sitting me down and saying, I know this is going to be hard, but you have to stay here for a little while. And I was like, for how long? <laughs> she said, I don't know. And that's the part that scared me the most. She didn't even know how long. And I was like, but what's the plan? So like, why are you leaving? And she said, well, we don't have enough money to go to the next town together. We only have enough money for me to go to the next town and I'll get some job and then I'll come back and get you. And I'm like, well, but how long is that going to take? She's like, well, it depends on the job. It depends on how much I get paid. And she, you know, she's like, you have Paco, you'll be fine. They broke my heart when I, when I left her with the, even with the relative, it's like I came and working and every day I thinking about her and my heart is like, what I can do this to my daughter, but it's not the other way I can make it. When my cousins brought out Barbies, I was like, oh, okay, I could do this. I could do this. I could live here. They're going to want to play Barbies. And so they gave me the ugliest Barbie. It was like the Barbie that you experiment on. Probably the first one you get, you chop off all the hair and you like, it's not a very nice haircut. When it was time for the fashion show, that was part of the game. They're like, we're going to have a fashion show. We're going to vote on the prettiest Barbie. And I was like, oh, cool. So can I get another outfit? Like, no, she only has that outfit. And they were like, no, you can just like comb her hair or something. So I remember like I tried to braid little braids in each of the Barbies, like little tiny braids. And she came out looking like old dirty bastard or like the Coolio from Gangster's Paradise. And, you know, I was not voted the prettiest Barbie, but I was voted the ugliest Barbie. And that's when I was just like, fuck, this is this is not going to be fun. But with them, I would cry and my cousins would come up and be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And I'd be like, my mom, when is she coming back? My cousins would be like, oh, shut up. For all we know, she's never coming back for you. So when she showed up, it was really like, oh my God, where the hell have you been? When I'm tell Jasmine, let's go, the boss is ready. Let's go, let's go. She said, yes, but I need a Paco. They hid him from me and she's like, we cannot miss this bus. We paid money for it. And I'm like, but I'm not leaving without him. He was with me this whole time. And she's just like, God damn it. And she's like, maybe your cousins hid him. Where is the most messed up place you can hide him? At the very bottom of an enormous basket of dirty old clothes. That's where he was. And then we, we got on the bus and we left. And that was when we were heading to uh, Matamoros, where I thought I was there for such a long time. And she said a day or two when she went and made the plans with the coyote. We went to the guy's house first where he assembled us and gave us all the rules. And the rules were essentially keep your eyes on me and run as fast as you can. And if you lose sight of me, you're on your own. We started running, which was fine. I thought it was funny and fun because for the first time I didn't see my mom looking around for my dad. It was like looking ahead. 
So we were running, running for a really long time, and then we hear the sirens. The patrol like descended on us pretty quickly, and my mom starts crying. She's like, "Please, please, please, I don't have any more money." And the, the coyotes just like don't say a word, shut up, just like stop speaking. They came over. They handcuffed both my mom and the coyote. They zip tied me on the front, and they put you in the back of the van where you're sitting in those benches, you know, right in front of the other. It's not seats. And my mom's crying and still asking the man, please, please. And he's like, Senora, if you don't stop talking right now, we're both going to jail. We drive across the bridge because we hadn't made it enough way that we had to get back on the bridge and come back to the Mexican side. They stop on the Mexican side at the bridge and they get out. They open the back and they're like, out, please. And when we get out, they cut my zip tie. They unhandcuff my mom and the guy. And then they're like, go. And the coyote grabs my mom from the arms, like, vámonos, let's go. He says, come on, we're going to my house. My mom's still crying, and I'm like, we're not going to jail? <laughs> and he's like, no, they just let us go. So we went back, my mom calmed down, and then asked, as when calm, like, how many days and how much? And then he laughed, and he was like, ay, señora, oh, lady, please. My son's going to cross you in another hour. You just got to make sure that you take a different route and same rules applies always. And he runs much faster than I do. And so we're like, we're just waiting for him to get back from school. And this kid comes inside the house, no taller than I am and way skinnier than I was. And I was a skinny kid back then. And I'm really worried all the way till we get to the river part. I'm so worried. But he's running and he was right. His dad was right. He's running fucking fast. So I'm like, I don't even think about it. I get in the water, it comes up to that, you know, chest level. It's actually fun. Like the water was warm. Everybody else was like waiting. And I'm like, I felt like I was an adult, like being brave and waiting across. So we get to the other side and he continues to sprint. Sprints like full speed ahead. And so we're running, running, running. After we cross the water and get out on the next side and the other side, uh, he say, run, run. And this little girl is something else because she said one time she say, I can't, I can't run anymore. You need to carry me. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I was tired. It was a long run. And I, I, would, I was moody. And so I said, I'm not running. You need to carry me. And my mom was like, oh, hell no. In many like Spanish bad words, no, we're running now. Paco would have been in my backpack. So Paco was always in my backpack when we, when we traveled. It was a little blue backpack, I think. I love that thing. And um, he might have gotten wet, but that's okay. He survived much harder things. So we crossed and we got to the employer and that also felt like a long time. We spent a Christmas there because there's pictures of me in front of a Christmas tree with the lady and her baby and my mom. And the lady gave me a really beautiful lace dress. It was like beige. And when you twirled around and around, it like made a f huge circle around you. It's my favorite dress. I remember still to this day, she was being paid $35 a week to live there and babysit this baby while they were at work. That was actually fine. It wasn't the easiest times we've had, but I was with my mom. Um, and then after that is when we made our trip up to Houston to live with other cousins. We town hopped for a while, but she went and she got me and that was it. We were together forever. And then she gets this job and she's like, actually it's a live-in babysitter job. 
I can come see you Saturday night and then I have to leave Sunday afternoon. Cousins upon cousins upon stupid fucking cousins because all the cousins were, I cannot remember. And, and if they're list, if they ever hear this story, which is, I don't know, improbable, I think, but whatever. If any of the cousins ever hear this story, if, if there was ever a nice cousin, I don't remember that cousin. Do you remember, Mom? That was the time with Macho Man and WrestleMania and Hulk Hogan. I used to love wrestling, but so did my cousins. And I, since I was the youngest, most gullible one, I used to be, like, essentially the punching bag. And I feel like, what is wrong with my life? Everybody treated me like a trash. Nobody treated me like a, as a person. They, they know I have a feelings and my daughter have a feelings too. Everybody thinking, oh, this woman or this girl is nothing. I feel that way. She would come home Saturday night and I wanted to spend time with her Saturday night. But Saturday night was club night. The mother of the home, who was cousins with my mom, would take her out to the clubs. She was dating her boyfriend and her boyfriend uh, had a, a best friend, Marvin. And what were you wearing when you first met dad, mom? <laughs> <laughs> Sparkling dress. Sparkling. I think that's an understatement. It was a sequin dress that looked like a disco ball. I used to call it her disco ball dress. They went on a couple of dates before Marvin came to meet me. We go outside where he wants to talk to me. And he's like, I want you guys to come live with me. And I'm like, we're going to move again? And my mom's like, yeah, but it'll be better because this will be finally our home. We won't have to be arrimadas anymore. Yes, I'm, I'm nervous. I really don't want to move in with him. But the situation, como dice, dice en español, arrimada. She felt like she was a mooch. Every time when I moved to somebody else, you know, the first day, the first week, everything okay. But after that, they say, no, they told Jasmine, no, you don't need to touch that milk. You don't need to touch that cereal that my mom buy for us. I can, I can try. If the things is not working, well, I'm already have really a hard time everywhere. So I say one more time is not. <laughs> You're not going to lose anything. <laughs> we moved in with him within that week. And the best part was that my dad said, you need to put her in school. eighth grade we were offered this really awesome opportunity to apply to boarding schools so I brought home all of these applications you know Hotchkiss and Exeter I loved loved the idea of going there and Feinberg told me I had a good chance so I started filling out the applications first name last name nickname and I called Feinberg because at KIPP when you have a question either whether it's homework or not you call your teachers I'm like all right Feinberg it's a social security number what do I put there wait you're not a U.S. citizen you weren't born here? And I'm like, no. He's like, but but your dad's American. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, and they're married, right? And I'm like, no. My mom's still married to my, da my dad in Mexico. He's like, you don't have a social security number. They won't give you financial aid. And I was like, fuck. With my father, because he is in Mexico, and technically my mother kidnapped me, 
and I was still underage, the legal way to do it would be to announce in a Mexican newspaper for about six months that Irene is looking for Enrique uh, to divorce him in the United States. So that was really scary because the whole point behind the marriage was to get me the ability to go to college. But if my dad chose to act on his right to contest the custody, he could very well win and end up taking me back to Mexico. He can show up on the courthouse and the date of the divorce and he can take Jasmine away from me because right. I... I took her away from him with no legal papers. Right. And I remember I asked you, I was like, but he doesn't have papers, so he can't cross the border to come to court, can he? And my mom was like, yep, they gave him permission. He can come. He would have, like, permission just to cross, just so that he can contest. Because I wasn't 18 yet either, right? No. So he, he very well could have, yeah, he could have come across and said, this woman's kidnapped my daughter and I'm contesting parental rights. And even if they get a divorce, technically she did kidnap me, you know? So he definitely could have done something to mess things up even more. My dad, honestly, I don't ever remember him doing anything bad to me, but I do remember all the things he did to my mom. And so that was enough to scare the shit out of me. And so for six months, we had to wait that six months is my end of the end of my life because every night I dreaming he that he was after her he was chasing you they chasing me yeah yeah so that day I get up really early I have to be at the court at eight o'clock in the morning and it's my really really hard day because I thinking really really bad things. But I'm always praying and everything okay when the court, they, everything, they, they don't take it like no more than 30 minutes. He don't show up, nobody show up, and they just say, okay, the divorce is automatic. And they just say, yeah, you have a full custody, nobody take your daughter away from you from now on. And that's what I want to hear. Yeah, that was really the only thing she was after. <laughs> And at the same time, not hearing anything for six months, like not even a phone call. I've never gotten a card. I've, I've never gotten so much as a message. You know, he knows where my family lives. It's not like he doesn't know where my Mexican family lives. While it was a, a relief that it, it, was, it happened, it's also always kind of in the back of my mind. Like, you don't, you don't want to know about me? It does hurt. It hurts. I'd be lying if I said it didn't hurt. Because the deadline was approaching very quickly for me to have something to show to Pitzer, whose offer I had already accepted, my mom got sick of waiting and called the offices and essentially demanded that they look into it. When the lady came out, I remember, she came out from around the, the window laughing and she's like, oh, your files have been stuck in this damp room this whole time. It's so, you've been approved. She stamped our passport right there on the spot. And that was it. I'm like, okay, great, I can go to college, but pissed. I missed out on several opportunities because of that. 
Paco went to college with me, where he suffered a lot of abuse from my friends that thought it was funny. Paco will die with me. He will be put in my grave. We were together this whole time. We're not going to be taken apart. <laughs> Jasmine is one of my... It's one of my mothers that made me strong. Always, always. From the beginning of my marriage, when she's born, I'm able to do hard things and... Uh, sometimes I feel bad because on my decision, I bring her hard times and give her a hard times and everything. And probably she's not deserve, deserve that live that life, but my decision is like I put he, I put her on on. On this hard life. It's not a hard life, mom. My life is very easy. <laughs> you made my life better. Mira, oyeme. You didn't make my life hard. You need to stop saying that. You made my life easier. You know that. I know, you know that. but in, in the times when in the times when we moving from city to city, when I left you, they give you a hard time. I really feel guilty. Well, how, how, how do you think I was capable of going to college and moving to New York and do it all without a problem? Why do you think that was possible? Because I, I have experience doing it. I don't see those experiences as, oh, pobrecita, she went through all of this. No, I see it as, hell yeah, I went through all of that. And that's why I am who I am now. I'm lucky to have experienced that. These are the types of things that make people strong. Paula Yasmin Shavira is now a middle school math teacher in the Bronx. She teaches at KIPP Academy. It's the same network of charter schools where she went to when she was in eighth grade. Thank you, Yasmin, for sharing your story with me. I'm so inspired by you. Also, huge thanks to Irene Foster for telling her story. Andy Diaz wrote our theme music. The music used in scoring this episode was by Andy G. Cohen, Little Glass Men, and Audionautics.com. There are links to their work on our website, bordersradio.org. If you like Borders, please write a review and rate us on iTunes. That helps other people find these stories. I'm Caitlin Pierce. Thanks for listening.